Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about a popular TV series five episodes at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm officially declaring that the House of the Undying is where we're going to find President Taft. I know that spoilers for later episodes <laughs> in the season, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm Alex. I'm pretty sure the Spice King is Taft. I'm Britain. Sure. <laughs> That makes sense. Mother of dragons, <laughs> I got stuck in a tub. <laughs> um, so we're talking about Game of Thrones. Specifically, uh, we are talking about Game of Thrones Season 2, uh, the first five episodes, and that is... I'm just, I'm just diving right into this. No, no opening bits Go ahead. today. We're all about business. It. Um, so that is, uh, the North remembers the Nightlands, what is dead may never die garden of bones and the ghost of Heron hall. Um, all of these have an 8.8 except for the Nightlands, which has an 8.5 on, uh, our favorite website, IMDb, um, mm -hmm. which is, as we know, always accurate and fair to, uh, the content that is reviewed there. Um, mm -hmm. did we elaborate why we're using IMDb versus Rotten Tomatoes? I can't remember. I believe we talked about that in the first episode. We can touch on it quickly here. Basically, it has very detailed reviews um, for each individual episode. Uh, and I've always found it pretty useful for TV shows where Rotten Tomatoes is a little more spotty in terms of you might only get, uh, you know, 20 critics reviewing a television season uh, as opposed to hundreds for movies, which is why we usually use it for movies. So, yeah, we're... It, it's that and then also I just I think we'll have some fun with it as we get to the later seasons because there's some ratings that are just they don't they don't seem quite right regardless of <laughs> we'll get into it we'll get into it um the all of these actually that's not even slightly true three of these are written by uh our our boys David Benioff and D.B. Weiss um the first two and then the fifth one are uh, the third one's written by Brian Cogman, who wrote an episode last season as well, and he'll continue to recur throughout the show. Um, and then the fourth one, Garden of Bones, is written by Vanessa Taylor. Um, our directors this evening are Alan Taylor, again, for the first two episodes. Uh, he is, he's returned. He did the last two episodes in the last season. He is actually, I, I forgot to mention this, um, he is the second most prolific director for Game of Thrones. Um, mm. Most of them are within this season or the last season, but he will pop up one more time after this uh, as well. And then um, our episode three director is Alik Sakharov. Probably. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think he was a cinematographer or director of photography. He was DP on the show before this. Who? Uh, Alec. Alec Sakharov, Alec. yeah. Alec. 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 Um, we'll go with that. Um He's done a bunch of random, like, very, you know, high-level, well-known shows. He's done uh, The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire and The Americans and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, the last two episodes, and uh, Sakharov will come back. He, he is a recurring director as well. Um, the last two episodes of this set are directed by David Petrarca, Um he does not do any more outside of these two episodes over the course of the entire show. And he has a fascinating 
cinematography, filmography, um, because uh, apparently he's done a lot of theater direction, Hmm. for one. Um, But then he's also done a lot of just, like, sitcoms. Uh, Okay. What did I see? He's he's done an episode of the Gilmore Girls, (laughs) as well as there was another one in here that I thought was was quite funny. He's done a few episodes of True Blood. He's done a bunch of random stuff. He also directed the direct-to-DVD sequel to Save the Last Dance. Uh, save the last dance two so there's that um yeah i don't know (laughs) it's it's an interesting collection we have here (laughs) is it is it called save the last dance dot 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 again no it's it's (laughs) save the last dance two keep up it's it's save two last dance save save two last two dance two (laughs) um but yeah does anybody have a particularly strong feeling about best and worst episode this week? I can start if nobody else okay. has one. Okay. I don't remember what happened in which episode again. <laughs> All right. Well, Alex is pulling so, up the Wikipedia page for Game of Thrones season two. <laughs> so I will follow <laughs> y'all's lead. Um, so I'm going to say that my uh, my best episode, I'm going to pick uh, episode three. Um, what does Dead Man Ever Die? Written by uh, animated human clock Brian Cogman. Um, <laughs> be, bewitched animatronic wonder Brian Cogman. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this episode just had a lot of great stuff in it. I really... One of the things that I've liked most about this half of this season has been the keeping of Tyrion in one place. I really like, obviously it was great mm-hmm. in the first season, Tyrion's uh, all over the place, and we're getting, we're really getting introduced to this guy as he interacts with so many different people in so many different locations. But this season, he's in King's Landing, and he's interacting right. with Cersei and the Small Council and Lancel, and that's pretty much it. And it's fantastic. He's so funny. Like, they really crank up the humor with him in this season, and I think he's so funny in it. I love... Uh, the way he is with Lena Headey, they play off each other really beautifully. And this episode has the the thing where he uh, tricks the small council to figure out who's not trustworthy, mm-hmm. which I think is just a really cl- there's some really clever editing in that when he's t- speaking with uh, Pycelle, Varys, and yep. Littlefinger. But then, of course, the reveal that it was Pycelle that's a great sequence. And there's this great moment where. He's he's sitting there and he's threatening them and he's got Braun and uh, Timmet, son of Timmet, and he says, uh, "Cut off his manhood, feed it to the goats." And Timmet looks around and he goes, "There's no goats, half man." And Dinklage goes, "Well, make do with this great like gesture, <laughs> like I don't know, come on." Um, I really enjoyed all of that. Uh, I can't remember if I think it's in a later episode where he starts like interrogating Lancel, and that's just wonderful. Um, but yeah, I just I really enjoyed that episode, and that was, I think that was kind of the wrap up of the this piece of the Craster, uh, beyond the wall thing. Mm. I think that was the last episode for, for a little while, um, and yeah, I just really enjoyed episode three, and I really enjoyed four and five as well, um, because I think it was just kind of where I started to get back interested in this season, which leads me to my worst. And again, I like all of these episodes, but my worst was. It's actually an episode and some change. So starting with episode two, um, I just felt like that was the most like, yeah, 
here's some stuff. <laughs> here's here's the show. And the first two episodes are very much about getting everybody in place. And of course, right. uh, two does end with uh, John seeing Craster take the bo- the baby to the White Walker, and that's obviously very important. And it's not that the second episode isn't important. It just it felt the most meandering and the most like, yeah, okay, we're just kind of doing stuff and getting through it. And uh, yeah, you know, now, now, now we are all a little bit closer to the end of the season. Um, that <laughs> episode also had a lot of weird sex, not a weird, a, a lot of sex stuff. It was like four <laughs> scenes and they all felt, some of it weird, some of it normal, you know? some of exactly. And all of it <laughs> felt uh, just uncomfortable and excessive yes. and like, and I'm a very like sex positive person, but I was like, come on TV show. <laughs> Um, the change that I mentioned, oh, season, episode two, though, did have, I think it was episode two. It was either one or two when Sam first meets Gilly. We all like Gilly. Mm-hmm. And I really loved how they look at each other and kind of make eye contact, and the soundtrack is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, baby. We got it together, didn't we? Dunna, dun. <laughs> Nobody but you. Dunna, dun. And me. And then Sam's like, my first, my last, my everything. I liked all that. I thought that was great. <laughs> Britain's, Britain's uh, previewing here, his new upcoming album, uh, Sounds of the Night, uh, <laughs> coming to Soros soon. It's called The Nightlands, which is a weird way to... <laughs> Sounds that's why night. I chose yeah. it, for the, tie, the branding, the synergy. Um, <laughs> The Nightlands. It's, all, uh, it's a it's a Game of Thrones uh, concept album. Um, the Game of Thrones, twelve GOT inspired tracks to get you in, to get you got. That's right. If <laughs> if you if you've seen found that special someone, well, you don't need to cut your hand in front of a big city <laughs> or or show them a weird safe. Just uh, just play them these tunes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but uh, the, the the change that I mentioned was in the beginning of episode four or early in episode four. Um, all the stuff with Joffrey uh, just really upset me, uh, which it's supposed to. That's the point right. of that. Him torturing Sansa and then torturing Roz and Daisy, like all of that is just nasty. Um. Vanessa Taylor wrote that episode, and so clearly this is an episode that had some female influence, and that is good. Um, and I think that that does show in the Sansa scene where, uh, one, she is not, you know, there, there, there's no nudity in that scene. One, because Sophie Turner is underage, but also, like, that's, that's you know, good. But that that scene, starting out with that scene, I was like, we're doing all of this. All, so far, this scene is only about how terrible Joffrey is and how great Tyrion is. And yeah. it's doing a good job of showing me both of those things. And look, I was so thrilled when Tyrion showed up and started telling everybody off. And Bronn's, you know, ready to take on Marin Trant. And the Hound puts his cloak around Asanza. I love that. Like, that made me feel so good. But at the same time, I didn't like all of this punishment of a woman just to show off male characteristics. Right, but then at the end of that scene, there's that little bit of that little turn where Tyrion's talking to her, and she's like, "No, I love Joffrey, my my one true love." That she is just so committed. She's like, "This is how I survive, and this is what I'm going to do." And Tyrion has that line about Lady Stark: "You might 
outlive us all or survive us yeah. yet, something like that. I think that's exactly that. Yeah, and I was like, okay, that's really good, and I and I and I and I get it. I just I I feel like this show goes really far, and I don't think it needs to go as far as it goes. Sometimes I think that sure. it's it's not you know. It's not Gar- it's not Garth Ennis or anything. It's not that <laughs> far gone, but I think it circles that block a little bit in scenes like that. And I just I remember watching it and being like, I I I get it, and I feel like you're you're just like rubbing the salt in the wound that you've already poured. You gave me a wound, you threw salt in it, and now you're rubbing it in. And I feel like there are some steps that you, we could have we could have stopped along the way, and you would have communicated everything just as effectively. Um, so though though and and I, and I ultimately I know I've gone into more detail about the things I had problems with, but I think that I ultimately mean that as a as a compliment in a weird way is that those things stood out to me because otherwise episodes three the rest of episode four and episode five I really liked I had a lot mm-hmm. of fun watching all the all three of those episodes for the most part and so it's if I'm having trouble remembering is because they all run together in a very positive way for me. Whereas one and two I felt were fine, and then that bit of four bothered me. But otherwise, you know, I'm still really enjoying the show. Like, I, I, I wondered if I would be start to feel a little burned out, but quite the opposite. So that's me. Alex, do you have thoughts? <laughs> I mean, I can go ahead and go. I think I've, I think yeah. I've got enough to work from. Um, yeah, I think episode two, The Nightlands, is the weakest. Um I do agree with Britain. I think the first two episodes in particular suffer a bit from slow pacing, which I mean, to a certain point, I, I like I get it, but even still, it felt like all right. Well, can we can we get a move on with with some <laughs> of the stuff? And particularly, like the second one, it's not so much that there's a whole bunch of sex scenes. It's more just like it felt like it was one after the other, like it was almost comical the way it was edited, because um just kind of listing off there's three distinct examples that i remember um when davos is trying to convince salador san the um mm. pirate yeah. to join him which i thought for the most part was a really neat scene yeah. um because it kind of displays the difference between davos and davos's son davos by the way is the other great character of the show oh yeah um, <laughs> in a series full of great characters um but Salad Hassan's like, no, 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 I'm not going to rape the queen. I'm going to have sex with her. And, like, he keeps going on and on about it. And I'm like, all right, dude, I get it. Yeah. Like, stop. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's that. <laughs> there's um, Theon showing up to the Iron Islands to convince his yeah. father to fight with Rob Stark's yeah. men. And he's uh-huh. feeling up... Um, his sister, but he doesn't know that that Yara is his sister at that point. He just thinks it's a a random lady taking him to to his father. Um, so that's we just straight up didn't need that. I get what it's doing with the character, <laughs> but the thing is, we already established Theon is like he he loves just just hanging with the ladies. He likes he yeah. likes having sex with them when because yeah. we have that scene with him with the the girl on the boat. Yeah. Like, we've already established that. We don't need to go any further. Like, you've already taken it far yeah. enough. Um, and that scene, and then, I think, uh, is also in the same episode, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So. Just more, like, just <laughs> continue. Yeah. And then uh, Stannis has sex with Melisandre, and then she gives birth to a, a, a demon thing that, right. that then kills Renly. Um, 
So yeah, it's just all compacted in in the same episode, and it just felt kind of silly. I think that episode also has where li- there's a guy looking at people having sex through a keyhole, and then <laughs> he's also engaged in an act, and then Littlefinger's watching that. Oh yeah, because is, isn't that the scene where Ross is um because she's ha- she's having some like PTSD yes. yeah. from seeing one of the uh, one of Robert's bastards being killed like right in front of everyone yeah. at the brothel. Yeah, and then little fingers all. Um, which I thought, once again, I I thought for the most part it was a good scene, but like, yeah, that beginning bit is so just like, taking it way too far. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we get it. Yeah. Like, and it really does raise the question of like, is that HBO going? No, you need to put more right. in there, or is it Benioff and Weiss going? It's mature, I guess. <laughs> I don't. I feel like. I think it'll be interesting to watch over the course of the show and, and try to kind of get a vibe for, like, when HBO is starting to, like, trust them. <laughs> sure. Because yeah. they don't, like, that drops drastically. Like, this is this yeah. episode, I think, in particular, is one that really gives the show its reputation for just the, the boobs and swords. Yeah. And that's, that's all we got. Um, whereas, and it does feel like a, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, over the course of the show, I think that backs off, especially even after, like, this season. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that stuff is contained in the first two seasons, and so it's kind of like, I don't know. Well, I'll get back into that. But, uh, yeah. but I think that's that an interesting thing to think about. And it does feel like a very second season, hey, you had nudity in the first season. Do more yeah. of that. That feels like a very right. studio notes uh, situation and I I remember clearly when like Amelia Clark was like I'm not doing any more nude scenes I've just yeah. like I'm not doing it anymore right. so, uh, yeah I can't especially remember especially because happened. it happens so early on in the season yeah, yeah Britain I think that that theory holds water yeah mm-hmm. um I guess my favorite and and once again this might just be recency effect because this is you know the last episode I watched Ghost Ghost of Har- Hall episode five. Um, had a lot of really neat moments. Um, Brinley's death at the hands of, uh, demon baby from Melisandre is just the creepiest thing. Um, and, uh, Brienne's reaction to it is just wonderful. And, uh, shout out to Gwendolyn Christie. She's awesome in this. Um, I like how her and Catelyn develop their friendship and, uh, and they, they kind of swear oaths to each other. That was, that was really nice. Um, then everything with Jock and Hagar, uh, mm. saving Arya, and uh, them developing a bond. I don't know. There's a lot of cool moments. Um, yeah. Tyrion discovers all of the uh, is dragon fire, uh, wildfire, mm-hmm. wildfire, wildfire. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. He, he he finds out that there's caches of that underneath King's Landing. Um, yeah, all that's uh, this, this is fine. <laughs> well, not to mention uh, all the stuff with Charles Dance and Arya, which is some of the best stuff. Some of the best just, like, pairings of actors in the show. Like, those two are yes. so great with each other. Mm-hmm. When, when Charles Dance first comes to Hall in his awesome armor, and he's like, not a boy, she's a girl, you idiot. <laughs> like, he has this great look. <laughs> there were so many of his lines where I would rewind and just watch, like, a sentence at a time. Because, I mean, he, I think, <laughs> watching this these last few episodes, I was like, I think Charles Dance is one of my favorite actors. <laughs> like, sure. He's just yes, so brilliant. He's not in enough stuff. No. And when he's in stuff, they don't let him do anything. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he is so brilliant on this show. And this show uses him really well. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then the scene where he's talking to Arya during his, like, council meeting about the war and everything. When he finds out she's from the North and, and all that stuff. And, and he says, has the thing about, like, what do you think about Rob Stark? And she's like, they say he can't be killed. And do you agree with that? And she says, anyone can be killed. And he's And he's like... All right, all right. <laughs> like it's so great. Yep, those are my picks. Oh, Britt, what what was your best episode? Uh, three. Okay, but you could uh, also you could change it for five too. Though. Well, I was gonna say um because I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a hat trick, a bad hat Uh-oh. trick, if you will, for uh episode two because mm-hmm. it's it's just there's. It's too much, too much sex stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it, it feels like there's about half an hour worth of story in in like a fifty to sixty yeah. minute episode. Um, I don't remember what else was in that. I mean, I think we covered everything. Uh, it introduces Balon Greyjoy, who is just yeah. discount Dinether. He that's sure. that's all he is. He <laughs> really is. <laughs> like, I feel like that's almost what the actor is trying to do. Um, and that's what the look is and it's mm-hmm. just like i don't find any of this stuff with with him and theon and yara compelling um yeah. it's yeah uh and that kind of continues on into the next few episodes as well which is annoying um even though obviously it makes sense that they're continuing the story they set up i'm just like i feel sure. like you've committed to this and it's not working very well um oh i i actually thought that stuff for the most part worked fairly well um the iron island stuff well, I think I don't think it spends too much time on it. I think it's very kind of focused in like, okay, we're spending time here. Sure. Like aside from from Theon feeling up his sister, which push that to the <laughs> side. I think everything else that they do there is very focused and streamlined, and they don't spend sure too much time there for it to feel more kind of yeah. overbearing. It's yeah, um, it definitely sticks out a lot more in this episode than any of the others. Yeah, and I I think all of that stuff's really important, you know, knowing what's going to happen to Theon over the next few seasons. Yeah. So, sure. Um, the only other thing I noted about episode two is that it, it feels like we still haven't gotten like Davos rounding into form yet. I think it takes. I think I think over the course of this season, you start to just like you get little mannerisms and stuff. And obviously, the actor's great. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, Liam um, Cunningham. Yes, and uh, he's wonderful, and mm-hmm. over the course of the show, obviously, we're going to get a lot more built out of him, uh, but for now, it's just kind of like, oh, he's Stannis' right-hand man, and he does stuff for Stannis, and he sometimes is like, hey, Stannis, I think that's a bad idea, and Stannis is like, mm, it's not, though, and then we just kind of <laughs> continue on. Um, the, we start to get a little more of, of his personality in the last few episodes, but um, I am going to uh, make it, I think this is the, the first of these Game of Thrones episodes where I've we we have all deviated completely because I'm going to say actually episode four is okay. uh, is like my best. Um, I just felt like there was a lot of fun stuff in that. Uh, the let me consult my notes. Um, there is the the great Tyrion line where I forget. I think he's talking to um, Cersei. I can't remember if it's Cersei or Joffrey. Um, oh no, it is it is Joffrey? I believe because. Uh, I think it's in that conversation with all the Sansa stuff yeah. uh, where Joffrey's like, are you threatening the king? And Tyrion's like, 
Braun, uh, kill Marin Trant or whoever if yeah. he moves again. And then he says, no, 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 that was a threat. I'm not threatening <laughs> you, Joffrey. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm educating my I'm nephew. I'm not threatening the king. I'm educating my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Joffrey's actor, I think, in general, uh, is very, very good. I, He's again, very, very good. remember his name. <laughs> uh, Jack Gleason. We're very good at preparation here. Um, yeah, he is, he's, I think, particularly in these episodes, you see that he's actually very, very good at holding his own with yeah. some really incredible, like a really incredible cast, with a very specific character that has to be like, he has such this, this spoiled, entitled ego um, that he... That and he, he's at the same time like so frail, like his yeah. his insecurities yeah. are so huge that like there there's such this interesting uh, tug of war inside of him and like you can see the fact that he constantly has to put up this front and like be on the attack against yeah. Lena Headey and Peter Dinklage, like he does a he does a really great job and I think that that really stood out to me watching these episodes. Um, there's a lot of stuff. Littlefinger goes to Renly. There's a lot of fun conversations going on there. Um, he gets into like a sparring match with Marjorie. Uh, it's, it's quite good, a verbal sparring match. Um, yeah, there's there's just a, a handful of good. Oh, there was one in particular, one one bit where uh, it's the when they get to Harrenhal and they're all standing in line because the tickler is is choosing victims to torture. Um, and uh, Hot Pie is like, this guy told me that uh, you just got to <laughs> stare at the guy every yeah. day, and then he'll never pick you. And then they pick the guy that was staring at the guard. And mm-hmm. so Hot Pie's just like, I have no plan. Oh, God. And then he <laughs> well, pees it's, himself. It's the mountain who it chooses is the mountain. people, right? Um, yeah. Which it, in, in the first recasting of the mountain, I believe. Yes. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is fascinating. Well, I want to get into the mountain a little bit, um, because this mountain is, is just, I think, not up to snuff. But the... <laughs> The the actor Ian White does redeem himself because he he does actually play other roles throughout the series, Interesting. Um, and I did not realize that until watching through this time. But uh, yeah, I think that there is. Uh, I I did not really love any of these episodes. I would say, but I think that episode mm-hmm. four had a lot of neat moments that I was like, ah, that was that was a good thing you did, <laughs> good yeah. writing. Um, yeah, uh, I had a revelation while I was watching these to kind of pivot out of our best and worst that I don't think I've rewatched any of these episodes. Uh, and I don't know how far that goes. That might go all the way up to Blackwater. Um, I don't think I've rewatched any of them since the very first time I watched the show, because uh, the first time I kind of rewatched it was with Alex watching it the first time. And he watched through like the entirety of season two without me. <laughs> Um, because he he could not control himself. The hack. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, if I've got nothing to do with a weekend, and I just see a Blu-ray of Game of Thrones just sitting there. What you expect me to not use it? Correct. <laughs> hey, that should be in a museum. <laughs> um, but no. So like, and just on. I don't think I've ever actually watched through the entire show since then. Maybe one of the maybe for like season five or six or something. I did. Um. But just oh my god, I'm looking at Ian White's filmography because I find this endlessly fascinating. It looks like he played Predators in both Alien vs Predator movies, and he was the last engineer in Prometheus. Yes, <laughs> these are fun facts. Sure, news you can um, use. 
but I was going to say the uh, you've you've just broken my brain with this these Prometheus <laughs> fun facts. Um, yeah, I I realized that I had basically not seen any of these, and so some of them were kind of like the, the most of them I remembered the the general gist, but I had not really like. It, it, especially compared to the first season, which I rewatched many times, mm-hmm. um, I, I just was like, "Oh wow!" I, a lot of this is kind of new to me, um, and I think there's a reason for that, which is that these episodes are, are some of the least consequential of the mm, like sure. whole series, um, and especially I think when you look at kind of the production story behind this. Uh, it seems like they really put all their eggs in the basket of making Blackwater this big, huge battle episode that was going to like, mm-hmm. shock everyone. And it worked, um, obviously, as we'll we'll talk about next week. But uh, I think because of that, because I know that they had to ask for more money from HBO for that episode, and HBO was like, you want how much to do this? <laughs> um, and I think because of that, you end up with a lot of just simple dialogue stuff throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the, sh- the the season. Um, and I don't think there's a lot going on in the book either. The, in clash of Kings comparatively, yeah, that, that would like, I was gonna make say. them do much more than this. Yeah. But I think you can feel that it, the production budget stretched a little bit thin here. Um, mm. I feel like they're, they're kind of packing out episodes a little bit from time to time. Um, sure. Like we talked about with episode two, feels like maybe they're following more HBO script notes um, Mm -hmm. than they might in later seasons. So I think there's just a lot there that makes these episodes feel not quite as like electric as the first season. Um, Still, still good. Still game of Thrones, but uh, I, I've never, I talked about this last week that I've never found uh, the season two to be one of the stronger seasons of game of Thrones. And so far I feel that way. Maybe it'll really pick up by the end and I'll, I'll remember uh, why people continued with the show into season three. Um, but yeah, I, I was a little bit uh, taken aback as I was watching these and was kind of like, this is, I'm not loving these. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not as, I'm not as uh, invested in, in getting right to the next episode in this uh, set. Well, I, I do recall feeling that way when I read Clash of Kings, because obviously mm-hmm. the first book slash season, it's, it's, it's introducing you to this, all these wonderful characters, and then it has to the the <laughs> almost literal needle drop, not needle drop, but I don't know. It just, it really does that, that thing with Ned at the end, which yeah. is so huge and shocking that, like, you're like, this show is really doing something different. This book is really doing something different. Let's keep going. And I think inevitably, the second book, it's it's not a full sophomore slump, but I think it's, <clears throat> you know, it sure. stumbles a little bit. Because it's like, okay, we're all into this. We're all invested in this world and these characters. But this is kind of like getting to the next place. We're all kind of moving along through this war and through these events. And we are introducing the players that are going to become major. But, like, Rinley's not that major. Rinley's big because it's through him that we meet Brienne and Marjorie, who are quite important. Right. And then, like, we introduce Stannis, but his big stuff is yet to come, I think. I don't know what happens to Stannis. And then you've got, obviously, Blackwater is huge. But then seasons and subsequently book three is when stuff really goes yep. to town. 
and that's when it, the the roller coaster really really hit. And so, I think too inevitably is kind of like the quiet season in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like yeah, I I, I I keep comparing it to Walking Dead, but it's kind of like in Walking Dead where we go, here's a bunch of cool characters, here's Herschel, everyone's favorite, but we're also going to hang out at the farm for a while <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, nice Similar land trajectory. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. Um, and then season three picks up, and it's like what? And then it doesn't. But anyway, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think season two is kind of a, a, a you know a more timid season in some ways. Yeah. And I think that's our God, Alex. Yeah. I was just gonna say I think part of the problem with that is uh, with the first season. I pointed out how cool it was that the way they executed not doing battles mm-hmm. when they they have lower budgets is just to have a character get knocked out or have it be told through exposition or you know we we cut to the end of the battle i think you can only play that card so many times yeah. um so when they keep saying rob stark is winning the war i'm like there's a <laughs> war going on how about you show it to me like I, they, they yeah. keep saying that over and over again and and you know, it's it's fine that they don't show it all that much, and and I I do like the scene where Rob is um, you know, trying to help. Is it is it uh, one of the Lannister soldiers who's who has to get his leg cut off or something, and he starts yes, talking with so. uh, Talisa. 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 Yes. Um, I thought that was a really good scene, but yeah. uh, can we get a bit more of the war <laughs> than Rob occasionally stands in a tent talking with his mom about? Go broker a deal with Renly. That, <laughs> like, that particular... I, I forget which episode that was in, but that particular uh, transition where it's the two guys are, are yeah. joking outside... The two Lannister like scouts are joking outside camp, and then one of them yeah. gets attacked by Grey Wind, and then there was like a weird edit. I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was something about it that I was just like, that was kind of jerky. <laughs> like I just, yeah. It felt weird. Um, and then we it's just like, ah, battle's over. And it's like, eh. You had a fun thing last time. This time you're just yeah. you're just actively acknowledging that you're not showing us the battle, right? But that said, I, I like that they then put more of an effort into the post battle because then you that ended up being a very important scene with and like right. you said, Alex, that scene with him and Talisa is great because it's a it's a nice way to introduce these characters and introduce this relationship without being too too heavy handed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that scene is well, much I more like, about... Um, I, I like how it's not just like immediately love at first sight. Yeah. It's, she's very combative against him, and, and she right. doesn't like that he started a war, <laughs> and he's, he's trying to justify it for himself, and, and she's kind of poking holes in his logic. I don't know. I, I like that back and forth, and that helps to build up a relationship stronger than just... They saw each other across the landscape, and, and they knew they could not be apart, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, and I was just saying that was the the nice thing is it, it that's where you see that Rob's imperfection is not that he's a bad guy; it's that he's like, oh right, I just don't know what like I'm just not good at this. I mean, like he's very good at it, but he's not he doesn't have this complete he doesn't have the big picture plan set right. And he's like, I I know I want my sisters back, but I don't really care about being the king. Until he's just like, so then what are you? So what's supposed to happen yeah. after you get your sisters? Like, you're not just taking men to King's Landing. You're you're waging war across the landscape. Mm-hmm. This looks like you're trying to take over Westeros, but you just want your sisters back. Like, you need to think about these things. 
right. which is nice because everyone's been talking about like, oh, Robert, he's such a great – uh, Rob is such a great leader and all his men love him. And then you, we totally understand why. And it's nice to see like the other side of that, of that this is the catch to all of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I agree that it's like, oh, okay, you couldn't show us the battle. But I, I like that they then went, okay, but well, what can we still get out of this? Let's yeah. not just ignore it and do a recap of that or a rehash of that joke. Let's actually, what's something we can do? If we're not going to use the battle, what's something we can do with the consequences of that battle? Yeah. Which I think is is interesting because it's not a particularly important battle, I think, in the campaign so much as no. it is an important moment for those characters. Right. Um, Talisa is a show only creation in the book. Um, I think the girl that Rob ends up, uh, attempting to marry is Jane Westerling. Mm-hmm. I've got that right. Um, yeah. and the book plays it a lot more like Rob is just an idiot teenager who, yeah, the first girl that, uh, will have him. He, he gets with and yeah, that's that, and then it was just like an idiot thing. Where the show, obviously, he's a lot older. You you can't, you have to make the relationship more look more legitimate. Yeah. So they kind of just created a whole new character. Um, the I don't think Jane I Westerling think, shows up much in the book. In general, I think that's actually an impro- an improvement. I <laughs> yeah, kind of I agree. agree. Um, and I think a lot of the shows, I think the show gets a lot of benefits from aging like up all the kind of younger cast. I think yeah. just that in general ripples through a lot and allows them to, because the we can eventually talk about this. Um, I think I want to dive into it more when we get towards like season four and five, where we start to see them different, like where they have to get away from the books. Um, but at one point, George R. R. Martin planned for a five-year time gap in the books, oh, and then wow. at some, and then he realized eventually, like uh, I don't, there's too many, I can't like advance this entire story five years and then fill you in like i have to just write through it which is also i think a big reason why now he's struggling so much to to get the next book out um but i think that it helps the show to now be able to look at like what george was was aiming for with that time jump and everything and kind of just push everyone up a bit and and smooth things out a bit so that they're they're on the right target um, so yeah, I think ultimately good, good character works well, challenges yeah. Rob. Um, we, I think that's the only scene we've seen, seen, we've seen of her so far. So but, far, uh, yeah. yeah it's a good introduction. Yeah. I also, so I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, wiki of ice and fire right now about Westerling, Correct. Jane Westerling. And apparently uh, Rob was grieving what he thought was a loss and she comforted him. And they slept together. And so the next day, to protect her honor, he married her uh, to, like, oh, I don't want to make, a, you know, I want to I want to do this right, so I'm going to marry you. But then, of course, that broke the yes. alliance they had with Lord Walder, and then there's a bunch of stuff for later. Uh, and whereas in the show, he meets her, and he's like, aren't you Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter? <laughs> and she's like, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I'm so much taller than him. And he's like, can you introduce me to Robert Downey Jr.? And she's like, no, I don't know him. <laughs> this, this, who, Who's that? I mean, Robert with an A? Um, but uh, Robart. <laughs> Robart. I'm Robart Dano Jr. <laughs> and, I, and I play Valerian Man. So, <laughs> Valerian Steel Man. <laughs> uh, Una Chaplin is... 
uh, Charles Atlas's granddaughter. Sure. But I, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's a nice way to like expand that because then that the, the uh, repercussions of their relationship are both more tragic and also make more sense. <laughs> and they, yeah. it all, it doesn't feel so much like, Oh, we got to get to this point. It feels like, yeah. a, I don't know. It makes a little, it works a little bit better. Um, Bran is also in the show. Yeah, uh, there's a scene uh, towards the end, and I mean he does this a couple of times, but but there's a particular one in in the fifth episode um, where he's like he's leading Winterfell. He's, yes, he's, that's really good. And and he's showing that he does have leadership skills, and he can think about uh, you know the way people. Yeah, you know, need assistance, and and he can he can plan logistics. I don't know. It's it's an interesting skill to set up for Brand to have. Um, anyway, <laughs> I see where you're going with that, and I immediately have several arguments against what you want to say. But you so can't we'll make just... them because <laughs> they're put a based on, on that. stuff that happens later in the show. See, look, I thought it's perfectly <laughs> fine. Look, look, the last season, I, 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 it's fine. All right, everyone needs to get over it. It's fine. Well, we're going to yeah, talk about the, it at some point. Yeah, so. there, there's that whole scene. Because I remember when they first there, – there, there are two scenes of Bran uh, dispensing help or wisdom or support to, to the, his, his constituents, I guess. And in the first one, uh, Maester Lewin – I have to say it every episode. I love Donald Sumter. I love mm-hmm. Maester Lewin. He kind of helps and is kind of do, speaking for Bran and – and then in uh, this chunk of episodes, Bran takes it on his own, and he's like, yeah. no, we, we have to do this. And Sumter is kind of looking at him, and Bran says, if we can't protect our bannermen, how are we going to – how can we ask them to, to stand with yeah. us in this big war? And Sumter's like, all right, go for it. And all of that's really good. And then later he's like, where did you get that idea? I think Osha is like, Bran, little lord, where did you get that idea? And Bran went, a little bird told me. <gasps> But no, I I agree. I I like all that stuff. And Bran is one of those characters who, at this point, if you don't know, you're kind of like, well, there's Bran again. There's that Bran again. I guess. I mean, here we go. But then, or even if you do know, you're going. There's Bran again. (laughs) But but I think it's helped by basically what I was doing. uh, Isaac Hempstead Wright is really really good. Um, it's helped by the fact that he's a really good actor, and uh, obviously, like I said, I love Mister Lewin. Um, but even Hodor's not doing a whole whole lot, right. and Rickon's just sitting at the table bashing peanuts. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, and I'm do like, it. Master Rickon, quit smashing nuts. <laughs> he's like, No, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I really like, like thick Southern drawl for Rickon. <laughs> no, I'm Rickon, and I'm gonna smash as many nuts as I want. Like little chicken Gideon nuggets is from, like my uh, family. Falls. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Where's Rickon? You mean little old me? Um, dear. Hey guys, I have a I have a philosophical question based on these episodes. Um, mm. is Karth Dune? <laughs> because Karth I just might be get Dune. some Dune vibes. Like, I can't prove it's not Dune. The, specifically, um, I forget what the guy's name is, but the um, kind of guy who speaks as the head of the Thirteen. Uh, uh, the, the Spice King? Sure. 
And that the, was, the, I think, the, part the, of the, the first the thing. Short, the short little chubby dude? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he he says my name is too long and too complicated for any foreigners to say, so he never actually gives yeah. it, right? Yeah. But uh, a spice. Uh, B he mm-hmm. he resembles at least the book version of uh, the Baron from Dune, um, and I don't know. Just there's a lot of aesthetics there. Uh, there's a there's That's a true. there's a strange red red lady. Uh, she's got like her red tiles. Uh, she's basically a, a, a Bene Gesserit. Um, I did want to ask about that character. I, I I feel like every five episodes I have one question relating to Jora. Um, so that's my my next question was going to be about that, but we can table that. Jora's just going on a trip. You know, he just <laughs> he, he he undergoes a lot in this series. Um, the yeah that I forget what her name is in the book she has a little bit bigger of a role in the, in the books but i believe she like mm-hmm. i don't know if she shows up again in the show after this point for one um like her I th- name's dune her name's dune um i think she's I did, she's yeah. there a few more times in this season maybe but i don't remember if she ever shows up again in the books, she pops up a little bit more um like every now and then she's just like i'm here to do give daenerys advice or something um, and she's supposed okay. to be mysterious and and unknowing, unknowable, uh, and sure. there's not a whole lot. Like that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> like I don't think they've, I don't think George has so, done anything with her yet. So the show, it's basically an attempt for them to try and seed a character that might show up later, yes. and then she just doesn't in the I, show. I think that's the idea. Okay, okay. I, I did giggle a little bit because we hear her off camera. And then Jorah turns, and there's this lady just, like, wide-eyed, but her face is covered in this weird mask. <laughs> but you can see her eyes, and she's just like, uh, hey. I, I, I thought they were going to go with the angle of she's one of Varys' birds. Mm. I thought I thought that's the angle they were going with. Sure. So I just assumed that's why she knew what she knew, but I, I guess not. I don't think <laughs> that's – I definitely don't think that's the idea in the books. You can make that your headcanon for the show, I think, and, and just roll with it. Well, because uh, she's just also... like she, she's just expositing all this knowledge that she she has yeah. on Jorah, and I'm like, huh, <laughs> what? <laughs> there is also a weird guy with magic powers in Karth. So yeah, Pyat another Creed. character from Dune. <laughs> yeah, and Zaro Zoan Daxos played characters by characters who mm-hmm. uh, who have facial features that turn blue as they mm-hmm. continue to live in this place. And uh, continue to consume a thing that makes themselves blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Nanzo Inosi, who plays Zarazo and Daxos. He is mm-hmm. in Atonement, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> He's also on Zoo, which is a good-bad TV show, <laughs> that, sure. where he makes a great face after an elephant steps on a guy's butt. Um, okay. But I really like I, I just I like seeing him. Apparently, Mahershala Ali was uh, auditioned to play Zarazo <laughs> and Daxos, which would be a very different experience. I think both great actors, but like, <laughs> yeah. what a wild thing! Oh, speaking of my weird connection with actors that have shown up in Alien and or Predator movies, Mahershala Ali is in Predators. Hmm. Is he really? He, he's he's part of the group of, of people that get stuck on the Predator planet, and I did not remember that. Huh. huh. Him and Walton Goggins are going at it for, like, the first third of the movie. <laughs> I also did not remember that Walton Goggins is in that movie, so... See, you, you just said the phrase Mahershala Ali and Walton Goggins, 
in a movie together, and I have to watch that movie. Except it's Predators, so I don't think I have to watch that movie. Correct. It's a it's it, a it's a perfect C film. It's I, fine. I think that's it the one with the monster about the fact that that we had both forgotten one of those actors being in the movie. Oh um, wait, I had forgotten. To both be of fair, the being in the movie. when we watched that movie, it was before we really knew either of them as like the big sure. actors that they are now. So. The director's name was Nimrod, so <laughs> yes, that's just something we all got to sit with. Correct. Um, <laughs> okay, I was thinking of the more recent one. Anyway, um, oh God, no, 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 no! Nobody should watch that ever. <laughs> uh, Ivan Strahovski's in that one, right? Who? Ivan Strahovski from *Handmaid's Tale* and Chuck. Perhaps I'll look it up. Um, talk about Game Sterling of K. Brown's in it. <laughs> See, I love him. The Predator. Speaking of weird names, um, <laughs> can we talk about the fact that the show just it starts seeding the name Mance Raider and just kind of assumes yes. you're going to get it? Like, just assumes yeah. you're going to roll with it? Like, well, I, I think it does a decent job, and every time his name is brought up, it immediately is followed by he's building up an sure. army of wildlings. So it's not just like, it's not just disconnected no. references like i feel like the targaryens often mm-hmm. you know oftentimes particularly in that first season i felt like that was kind of a, a pain point for me was i don't know which targaryen is which and no. what the relations are here and who was alive 500 years ago versus you know last generation you know last generation before the show started whereas i i don't know that this one i didn't sure. have as much of a problem with. i just think the name is very silly um and it's yeah. funny to me that like <laughs> they just they're just like, yeah, Mance Raider. This is normal. <laughs> I do like, because he, he uh, and Monstrovsky is in The Predator, so I'm going to have to watch it at some point. Um, no, you're not. You're I, I, know my, I know my burden in life. <laughs> I've, accept, <laughs> I've accepted it. Um, but uh, he, because he is a former um, Night's Watchman, right? Yes. Remember the Night's yes. Watch who, who defected to the Wildlings? Yes. Okay. Wow. He is he's the Count Dooku of this universe. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> well, because now was Mance Raider his name beforehand or did it cuz maybe that's his name is silly cuz he was like I need a wildling name. <laughs> I'm a man and I'm going to take stuff. Man. But taker. But he also spells it. It's spelled R A Y D E R. Well, yeah, because he wanted to, because he wanted to give it kind of like a warrior cat's kind of, kind of, kind of spin. <laughs> he wanted to put a little, a little, a little cool stank on it, you know. <laughs> and he's like, no, "I'll I spell don't. it with a Y," but not everyone will get that. That's just for the scholars a hundred years from now at the at, at the Citadel. <laughs> um, but, but now, now, serious question: Corin Halfhand, mm. who is a character introduces very little fanfare, but is supposed to be a very big deal. Who is he, and why? I know who he is in the show, but like, what is is he like a a ranger that is just always out beyond the wall? Is he a wildling like Craster, who's like allied with them? Like, what's the deal? No, he's a he's a ranger. He's a okay. he's a Night's Watch ranger. I think he's just supposed to be a good one. He's he's good at his job. Okay, so and and he's just like very often out in the wild. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because Craster is just a wildling yes. who has, like, brokered this tenuous agreement with Jor Mormon. Yes, and also the White okay. Walkers. 
Yes, yes. <laughs> so he's a real, uh, a real Yojimbo, a real Clint Eastwood sure. figure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got. I got to be honest. I. I was. My eyes were glazing over whenever we cut to uh, a Jon Snow uh, north of the wall scene for these first five episodes. They're so boring. <laughs> um, but it had your favorite character, Edison Tollett. <laughs> I do like Ed. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, I. I feel like that plot line in particular suffered the most from not enough is happening yet. Yeah. Because, like, everything at Craster's, that should all be done within the span of a single episode. And they yeah. spread it out over, like, two or three. We we repeat multiple times, like, John, don't touch the women. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just, like, the plot of, of three episodes. Um, yeah. Yeah. When, I remember when I was uh, first going through the show, however long ago, being the least interested in all the stuff with John. And I think it's because I just hadn't gotten to... The really important stuff yet. When right. the White Walkers right. really become a thing. And obviously we'll meet Agrit soon and that that'll be great. Um and even though I like a lot like I love James Cosmo and I love Sam and I like John, it's just a lot of that I think it's because there's not a sense of immediacy yet. It just feels like yeah. I don't know. This is well, it's, it's, also, like, it's like just, we can all tell it's going to get important. It's just not there yet. Well, it's also like their goal. <sighs> Is is kind of vague. It's just like we're we're gonna try and find, um, Binjin and figure out what what the uh, what the wildlings are up to. And I'm like, that's I'm not on the edge of my seat with that. You know, sure. I'm not I'm like, like why, I why are we to, doing it now? I, I have to see where to... this leads. Yeah, was it? Is it just Binjin's disappearance that is prompting them to do all of this? It's that and the the. Uh, White Walker that John killed. Okay. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. That makes um, I, I do like that bit where uh, John's volunteering to go with Corrin on, on, like, the reconnaissance mission to take out the wildlings by the fire in the distance. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm the only one to have killed a white. And, and, <laughs> and Mormont's immediately like, yeah, you also let an old man, like, take your sword and <laughs> knock you out. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, and it's in the same scene where Sam is like, "Oh yeah, uh, all this stuff in the history about the White Walkers. Like, how do you know that?" And he goes, "Well, I read it in a book." <laughs> and they're all like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam. Yeah, and and I I do know ultimately that stuff does does start to get more interesting. It's just I'm yeah. waiting for stuff to actually happen. Right. I think there's I think with because we talked about the fact that Daenerys's plotline really takes a while to get underway um well also it, i i you know and you know i'm speaking ahead this her plotline in particular and I, I i think i said this the last episode it feels like what you would do as a plotline for like a filler mm-hmm. season where it's just like eh, we don't we know where we want to go but we, we're just, we kind of are, are just wasting time till we get there and we'll just have her go to this place and weird things will happen right yeah, I um, I feel like with both her and John, there's very much a sense of we have to stall until we get to the events of yeah. season three. Um, right. Not only because just like the way things line up, but also because then we can start to put the focus on them. 
Whereas right, right now we're still kind of we want the viewer to think like, ah, oh, Rob, he's the he's the, he's yeah. the real deal. This is our guy. Um, yeah. And and generally like the Starks are still the main character. We're obviously as as we get into season three and beyond, things kind of explode and disperse, and then and then we go separate ways. And so then they can they can really focus in on John and Daenerys um, right. moving forward. So I feel like there's some timing with like who do they need to have the most focus on and have you most invested in? Like, it's almost by design that you're not supposed to be that interested in what they're up to right now. I think they could, sure. they could have done it better, but, um, the, yeah, they're not like the focus at the moment. Um, yeah, cause they're, they're really, I think trying to get us, lots of you have a clear understanding of what is the setup south of the wall across the narrow seat. Like, in King's yeah. Landing and all these other places, so that when the stuff from Daenerys and Jon's story collides with everybody else's, we really understand how huge that is. Yeah. That we understand what structures we are... Like, we, they have to set up all of these things before they knock them down. Yeah. To understand um, why it's such a big deal. Yeah. Completely um, not set up transition. I want to talk about Littlefinger in these episodes, because... yeah. I feel like, and this was really fascinating, a fascinating experience to me watching these, because people really sort of idolize Littlefinger, um, especially moving forward uh, as we get into some of the, like, season four and beyond. Um, mm. People really are like, oh, he's the mastermind, you know, like, he's he's playing all the strings and he's, he's amazing, oh my gosh. Um, I... I really feel like he just is constantly getting slapped in the face, both uh, physically and verbally, um, <laughs> yes. through these episodes. Like he he uh, gets completely duped by Tyrion about the when he's doing the three way like who's giving away my secrets deal. Um, he gets in a conversation with uh, Cersei, where Cersei is like he's he's telling Cersei like, ah, well, power is money or whatever. And Cersei's oh, like, yeah. well, actually, I have all these guards, and they will kill you if I tell them to, so I have power. Um, and then Marjorie also basically just, like, rips him a new one when he's trying to, like, make some jokes about the fact that she Rinley hasn't given her a child yet. Um, it's really Catelyn fascinating. Catelyn nearly, like, yeah. tries to kill him because he thinks, oh, Ned's dead, now <laughs> I've got my chance. Yeah. Taking Which... my shot. <laughs> Which is even better considering the end of that scene is him delivering Ned's <laughs> remains to her. Yeah. And I'm like, buddy, I, I, I think you need some dating advice. And he is responsible for Ned's death, ultimately. And he is for, yeah. in large part. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I do think these episodes do kind of establish he is very much delusional. Like, yeah. he is still a smart guy, but he does... Like he's not the smart test guy. Yeah, you know, he's he reaches beyond like his about, grasp a lot. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what I like about that scene with Catelyn is it's the one moment so far in the show where we've gotten like some genuine emotion behind him where he's he's not it's not duplicity it's just naked. This is what I want, yeah. and this is yeah. like it's a there's it's a real sense of of clearness with him, which is something we don't usually get from him. Um, personally, I hate Littlefinger. I think we're supposed to. He's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I talked to, I think in the last episode about how he and Varys are two sides of the same thing where, 
and this is based on very limited knowledge from me, but Littlefinger is, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want. And Varys is, I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect the realm. And so neither one can you trust completely, but if you had to, like, pick one person, like, Varys is, seems at least to me at this point to be a little clearer sighted and doesn't, will try to find ways of getting, meeting goals without hurting people. And Littlefinger's like, whatever, people can die. As yep, long right. as I get that kiss on the cheek. <laughs> um, the this this does also have a, at the end of that string of kind of general failures uh, on Littlefinger's part. He does ultimately, um, after Rinley's death, have a talk with Marjorie about like how can we kind of regroup going forward, um, which yeah. is really fascinating. I had forgotten that that scene was in there, um, and that's kind of setting up some future events which is very neat. Um, I, it's, it's, it's interesting to track which scenes are in the show and which scenes are, or were created for the show. I should say, should say, because I don't know if we've really touched on this much, but like the, the point of view characters is really important um, in the books in terms of like, you don't get to see something unless someone is there doing it. And the show generally mm-hmm. kind of follows that rule, but for example, neither Littlefinger nor Marjorie, I think, at least not in this book, uh, Marjorie is not a point of view character. So like that scene's like not there. Uh, there there's right. like that that whole scene. I really like um, Loris's reaction to Renly's death and the fact that he's like genuinely like he, he both loved him and also he thinks he was the right man for the job. Like he was a genuine, like right. he would have been a good king. Um, and I think that's a really well done scene. And and the fact that Loris immediately is like. No, I don't think Brienne did this. Like, uh, what yeah. are you talking about? Like, the, clearly something else is going on. Um, I, well, I, yeah. I, I I like how that that kind of pays off. Um, kind of his his dislike of her and and uh, Renly having her be on his king's guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it's ultimately like, oh, uh, Laura still like respects her as a warrior. Yeah. Like that's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, um, that was a nice touch. Yeah, and that that whole sequence is not something we get in the books. Um, so again, the, the show fills in details that you know, maybe in a book where you're kind of playing with a lot of hidden information, you can get away get away with not talking about it. But in the show, it makes a lot more sense to be like, you're going to see these characters again. We should go ahead and show them to you and, and show them show you how they're reacting to this, so we can kind of build that out forward. Um, I also I I did have the thought watching i think it's in the first episode and being like huh there is a battle between a, a duel between brienne and loris uh in these episodes and i did not remember that was a thing like i, I probably could have <laughs> recalled it if you you directed me in the right direction asking me the right questions um but in terms of like a thing that i just think of when i think of like season two or game of thrones like sure it's not memorable in the slightest which i think is is not a great uh vote in the sh- in season two's favor um yeah right. and they're, it, they're also both wearing helmets so sure you can't you can't see their face well, it it's strange because i think the first season you know they have the um the scene where they're uh the competition yeah. with uh loris versus the mountain and i think that does a very good job establishing loris as a good warrior yeah and then this this one it just feels like it's not not particularly well executed. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I felt like it, 
Yeah, it could have been done better. Yeah. Well, I think the show still has not really grasped how to do action correctly. Um, sure. There, there is the one good duel between... Well, there's a couple of good duels in Season 1. You've got the trial for Tyrion between Bronn and Bardis. Um, and you've got yeah. uh, <clears throat> Ned and Jaime fighting a little bit. And so there's some stuff there. But I think, especially in in later seasons, and, and we'll obviously get into those, the show really nails down, like, the weight classes and things, um, and mm. fighting styles, and, and gets really good at that in terms of making you feel the impact of why it's important for this person to fight this way and this person to fight this other way. Um, and I think right now, both in that battle, uh, where you basically, you, you can't even really tell that one, Brienne is, like, significantly taller than Loris when, like... Yeah. I think if they'd done that with the production budget of one of the later episodes or the later seasons, it would have been very obvious that like, oh, Loris is, is maybe more of a quick fighter or he's more elegant and Brienne's more brute. Whereas in, in that battle, it looks like they're just kind of weighed down a lot and they're they're just swinging a sword yeah. into the sand and, and glancing off of each other and it's not really uh, fun to watch <laughs> or anything. And I think also yeah. um, we mentioned The Mountain is now being played by Ian White. I don't know what happened to the first mountain actor. I, I want to say there were some personal problems. Like he had some some stuff, not like bad things, like not no, no he, he did he something wrong. Some but I think well, he was I was going to say he actually chopped off that he horse's head. head. <laughs> and they were like, sure, we'll use it for the episode. But come on, after that, you got to go. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. I mean, it was great for the camera, but we can't. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, you guys, you guys got that on tape, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're bye. I, w- I want to say it might have been illness or, or something. Basically, like something came up where mm. he wasn't able to continue. Um, and That's I think it. that actor in in that one scene you get of him with the mountain or the the few scenes or the few scenes you get of the mountain with the hound uh, do a really good job establishing like, oh, this guy's super powerful. He cuts off a horse's head. Wow, that's, yeah. you know, he's, he's big and brutal and, and crazy. Whereas in this, um, Ian White is like seven feet tall, I believe. Yeah. And uh, and he will... Played an engineer. He he will, sure, get recast uh, as roles that, that I think use that to uh, to his advantage more later. And we'll, we'll talk about that when it comes. But... Mm. In this, like he's walking around Heron Hall, and you would not know that he, like, he just looks like a guard. Like the the way they've dressed him up, yeah, uh, and yeah. The way they're shooting. It feels the like there's the costume feels like it's specifically made to hide his physicality. <laughs> yeah, which is just the, so strange. And it, it may be that he's not very like bulky. He may be thinner, sure. um, and that may be part of the problem. But like, you don't really get the proportion of him compared to anybody else. And so so the closest like... is when uh, when Tywin shows up because Charles Dance is a very tall guy, sure. and yeah. they stand next to each other, and Tywin comes up to like his shoulder. True. So that's that's you get a moment of that. But yeah, yeah I mean he he seems to slope down a lot. He doesn't seem like a like a big guy. He just seems like yeah. a tall guy. Well, I'm thinking like so so this season came out in 2012, right? Yes. So this probably would have been an, oh that was the Prometheus. apocalypse, right? Right. Prometheus <laughs> yeah. came out the same year, so this is probably close to the that time where he's playing the engineer, and you know, the engineers aren't like super bulky, they're just kinda tall and slender as well. Sure. So I don't know. Who knows? Um Basically I'm saying he will eventually be replaced by Half Thor Bjornsson. Um 
who is a very big dude and i think uh <laughs> They again, the show by that point has figured out much better how to actually like display this man's strength and how big he is. Um, he cuts off two horses' heads at the <laughs> same time, <laughs> he stacks them up on top of each other, and yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know how much more I have to say. I wanted to, uh talking about the the wildfire so the we we meet uh haline or haline the pyromancer um Mm. he's played by an actor called roy dotris or roy dotris and he's got some really cool trivia that i wanted to to share he was a fighter pilot in the raf during world war Hmm. ii um his daughter karen was jane banks one of the kids in the original mary poppins movie uh, he apparently introduced baseball to the Royal Shakespeare Company and played with with the likes of Albert Finney, uh, Paul Robeson, uh, uh, Charles Lawton, Peter O'Toole, and Laurence Olivier. <laughs> uh, and he is in the Guinness Book of World Records for having done the – for most characters voiced by a single person in, in an audiobook for Game of Thrones. Fascinating. That he he's basically like a cameo because he had done the audiobooks and they were like come in here and play this pyromancer you he is like an incredibly accomplished man <laughs> and he has like a Tony he was an order of the British, British Empire like what a cool what a That's cool guy funny. does the uh, pyromancer come back at all uh, he I think he's in Blackwater yeah I was gonna say I think we see him again later this season I think after that okay not so much. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that, like, really stuck out. I mean, I think a lot of it is just characters that I like. You know, like I said, Tyrion is great, doing all the court uh, uh, yeah, manipulation. All that's really good. Well, I, I appreciate the uh, that they're kind of self-aware about it, that the moment where Varys talks with Shay, and we haven't really brought up Shay. Oh, yeah. This go-around. Um but I do like the bit where, where Tyrion realizes that Varys knows who Shay is. And, mm-hmm. you know, he he's kind of like, I, I you're not going to threaten me. I know how this game is played. I'm not like Ned Stark. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate that there. It, it, and, you know, it's, I think that does a good job of helping to be like, yes, the, the, the character from the first show, the main protagonist of the first season is gone, but... Yeah. Like like helping to carry that on in a natural way by being like, okay, Tyrion's kind of filling that that void mm-hmm. a bit. So yeah, that's like that. that's what I was about to say. Is even though Tyrion has a very different approach than Ned Stark, he's still kind of Ned Stark. Um, yeah. Yeah. At least in terms of the role he plays on the show and the way he interacts with everyone, and, and just generally the fact that like he is our eye in King's Landing, um, which is is really neat. Uh, because it's it's fun to see someone who has like a lot of the same problems that Ned was facing yeah. on his plate, but now he's tackling them in a very different way. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's neat to ha- to basically have like a King of the Mountain thing going on. It's where it's like, okay, Ned didn't work. Is Tyrion gonna work? Tyrion, get on up there, see what <laughs> you can do. Um, yeah, yeah, and I really liked the um, the scene where. Shay comes to Sansa for the first time, mm-hmm. which is right after Sansa was tortured by Joffrey. 
Um, and I like that scene. Like, obviously, Sansa is very unpleasant to her. But of course she was. Sansa has... That, that's like the first time in ages Sansa has felt like she has control over something. And she's like, I keep getting ordered around and... Now, and she's I also, have expectations of you. I, I think, I forget where, if that comes from the scene um, that we were talking about before. I don't remember if that's from the scene so. where she was in the, uh, in front of the whole court and getting abused, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, like, obviously she's just very shaken up and doesn't want to deal with anybody right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's right after. And, you know, she's, everyone has had all these, she's had to live up to everyone's expectations of her for this whole time. And now she's like, no, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just in the worst position I've ever been in in my life and I'm taking it out on you. And it's, it's, I mean, it's totally justified, but I love the way both of those, both Sybil Kakili and uh, Sophie Turner play that mm-hmm. uh, is a really good, a really good scene. And, and I like how they're starting to lay some, lay some ground for stuff with Shay later. Yeah. Um, all this stuff about her, not like like Tyrion trying to like give her some room in King's Landing, but he is ultimately trapping her, mm-hmm. and how she wants to like break out of that. But you know, I think all that's really good. Yeah. How did you guys feel about Stannis? What what was what was your impressions? If you were watching the show for the first time, what would your impressions of well, Stannis be at this point? I I think he's a really interesting approach to a character in this kind of show because he's so rigid and he's so like, no, the law, I follow the law. I have, I'm supposed to be the King because naturally I'm the next heir. That's it. And him writing out his, or or giving um, feedback on his written declaration that he's ruler was, was just perfect. (laughs) Like all the grammar and the like, no use of proper titles. No, don't say that. Like it's all, he's very, very rigid. And I think that's an interesting approach. We have Renly who's like, no, I'm a nice guy. I want to be King. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Stannis who's like, I'm going to be the king cause I'm supposed to be. He doesn't seem to have any desire for it one way or the other. He's like, I'm just obsessed with upholding order to the point that he brings in the chaotic force of a witch yeah. <laughs> and has a demon baby with her. It's very like hypocritical in the sense yeah. that he's like willing to, I don't know, murder his own brother, but yeah, he's like sure. the law. <laughs> But no, I'm. Uh, I find him. I find him uh, an interesting character, and he's one of the ones who I don't know where his mm. story goes. So I'll, I'll be uninterested mm. to see uh, I, what happens there. I really like the conversation between him and Rinley. Um, yeah. I, I fe- I've always felt like that Mark Addy and then uh, Stannis and Rinley, like the the three of them, just don't like. It's hard yeah. to see them as <laughs> brothers and like the order that they're aged in. Um, yeah, right. but I think that when they do interact, the show does a really good job of having them like their chemistry really shines as actors and skill as actors so that you can kind of buy it anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just funny. Cause again, talk about Littlefinger. Stannis is also a character that very much, uh, as the show goes on, gets kind of like this, uh, aura of oh he's the he's the cool tough guy you know he's mm. he's actually he's actually great stannis maybe stannis will win the throne um and it's kind of like we he's basically running a cult uh you know, <laughs> from the moment he gets introduced you know we're yeah <laughs> you can true. only 
I don't know. It's hard to buy into it too much as a like guy who could do a good job being king. But at the same time, like when you see Melisandre conjure a, a demon to go kill Renly, you're like, maybe he's on to something in terms of winning this thing. <laughs> sure. I'm not saying he'd be a good ruler, but he might be the one to win. The Lord of Light conjured a demon. Yeah. Yeah, it is a, it is just a position that he's like all rigid, but he's literally using witchcraft <laughs> to yep. win. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um Yeah. I have a couple of random onsonance things, if if no one Yeah, go for it. Thoughts. Uh Tyrion at one point is whistling uh the reigns of Castamere. He's whistling yeah, a few times actually a few times in. I think throughout these episodes, which is, is cute. Mm-hmm. Um is it though? Jamie, <laughs> Jamie. At this point, uh, as the Stark prisoner, I think there's. It's really interesting because we were talking about subverting expectations. This is that that mm-hmm. section of the show, kids. Um, <laughs> th- I feel like there's a there's a vibe you can really get from him, um, especially when he's like trying to play off being in prison by the Starks, where he's really he's sort of a like Han Solo type like that's that's kind sure. of the the vibe is oh he's he's this uh, swashbuckling like rogue uh he's dashing he's charming um so he's got a witty comeback yeah but also he's like actually bad <laughs> like he's yeah, not right he's not a smuggler with a heart of gold or what have you um and so that was just something that was really interesting to me especially i think it was he has a conversation with catlin um at one point in the first or second episode and uh, I thought that was neat. I was like, oh, that's a that's an interesting read on this character because Nic- Nikolai Coster Waldo 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 wears Waldo um, is very good at what he does. Oh, he's wonderful. Um, yeah. Uh, there we see the. I don't know if we've seen him in the first season as well, but in this one we get some dialogue from the first Tommen actor. Um, mm-hmm. And I was I was pleasantly surprised because I think that they do a good job of recasting in such a way that it's not jarring. Um, sure, it is kind of jarring because you see Tommen's ultimate, like the actor they settle on uh, yeah. in uh, this season or the next season. Mm. Um, I think it's the next one. Uh, you see him playing another Lannister, uh, oh, which is fun because then they recast. Uh, did you not know the songs? No, like, we'll, we'll talk. Well, you'll see it, and it will be impossible to unsee. Uh, but oh, great! <laughs> it's just for like a scene. Um, but then they they bring him in to replace Tommen, and I think he actually matches this young Tommen actor pretty well uh, in terms of just personality. And you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not super distracting that you, you could buy more or less that this the one they currently have ages into that, which is neat, uh, especially when you compare it to something like. Uh, at one point, Alex and I watched through uh, all of Mad Men, and they recast mm. uh, Don Draper's children. Both his children, or maybe it's just his son. I think just, just his son. It's just the son. Just the son. Um, they cast him like they recast him like four or five times. Yes, and and then there's there's some meta comment that's made in one of the later seasons about like, oh, I was hanging out with the other Bobbies or yeah. some, and I and I, I was just like. All the synapses were firing in my brain of like they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, they do they recast Marcella as well? I don't know. I was trying to figure that out. 
Um, okay. We have the internet, but you know who who needs that? Uh, I can't remember if it's the same actress. I feel like it probably would be if they recast her or recast mm. Tommen from this, but um, right, hard to say. Um, then the, episode three when they haul off Pycelle and he's with a prostitute. Um, Tyrion goes and puts a little coin uh, on the armchair uh, in front of the prostitute as she's like cowering in the corner and he, and then he like starts to walk away. And then I think something, there's some more dialogue where she gets agitated again. And then um, Tyrion just walks back and puts another coin on top of that coin and gives her a little wink. And I laughed very hard (laughs) yeah, (laughs) because it's very silly. Um, It's very good. Peter Dinklage is such, such gold. Um, Yeah. He's the best. Uh, he also there's a line he has a, a a bit later in episode five where he's talking to Cersei, and uh, Cersei's like, "Aren't you so clever with your schemes and plots?" And then he's like, "Schemes <laughs> and plots are the same thing," um, yeah. which is another great little <laughs> comeback thing. Um, the last thing I want to touch fa- on, what, uh, which is a little bit more of like an actual analytical thing, uh, in episode four. They set up both Heron Hall and the Garden of Bones outside Carthdune. Um They set these up as like, oh, these are you know major dangers. It's gonna be you. De- yeah, you could die at any time. Like it's so it's so scary. Um, and neither of them are really that like concerning. Like in the grand scheme of things, you, you don't you don't think of those as like, oh, those were some of the hardest trials these characters went through. Um, and I think that speaks a little bit to why I was pretty uninvested in a lot of these, this set of episodes, because they're really like, we're, we're building up to Blackwater, but there's really not much urgency towards that. Like, we don't really know that's where we're going. We know that there's a lot of Kings around and they got armies and they want to do battles, but we don't really know what's happening and I think maybe starting the next episode, this is really going to ramp up just because obviously in episode five, we do start get th- to get the wildfire stuff. We start to get yeah. Stannis consolidating the Baratheon armies um, and, and Bannermen. And so that's something. But up to that point, you really don't know where this season is going. Um, whereas in the first season, you know, you're constantly like, how's, how's Ned going to get out of the, the trap that's closing in yeah. around him in King's Landing? Um how what are the Starks going to get out? What's going to happen to them? Like, there's so much more tension going through the entire first season. I talked about how I felt like that sagged a little bit, but for the most part, at least, your character, all the characters are focused on what's happening in King's Landing, and that's what a lot of these ancillary events are are about: is characters trying to position themselves to take advantage or uh, take revenge for whatever's happening there. Whereas this is really just we're following characters around, and they're just doing whatever. And we don't know when the next, like, inciting incident's going to happen. Um, yeah. Until this, basically this the fifth episode. Yeah. This does feel a bit like it's just kind of coasting, where it's just like, no, we can sit around for a little while. We, we just got our characters. We're, we're settled in. We had our nice, exciting uh, end of season shocker. Let's, yeah. let's, let's breathe a little bit. Let's, let's... Let's get back to some sort of status quo and just kind of chill for a little bit. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I think ultimately the it's kind of semi-mixed results, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, another Tyrion line that I liked is when he says to Cersei, you love your children. 
It's your good quality. That and your cheekbones. <laughs> I, I, also I also really laughed at yeah. that. That was good. I also really appreciate it. So, so obviously in the opening of the show, they have you see all the locations of that week's episode like being built on this grand map. Um, when they show Heron Hall, it doesn't move at all. It's just ruins, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. They show like Karth and Vaistothrak and all these other places like rising up and like all the like the the weirwood tree is forming out, but Heron Hall is just a static uh, uh, yep. structure, which I thought was a pretty cool, pretty little neat attention to detail there. Pretty good. Yeah. No other big uh, big points on these five episodes, boys. Well, so, I, I'm thinking more about it, and and just I actually hate this the, show. No, no, they don't have their protagonist anymore. Like they don't have the main character. Like right. I I could imagine a lot of tre- trepidation and anxiety on the parts of the people making the show being like, yeah. Well, I mean, there are more books, but like, is the audience going to accept this? Yeah. I, I could imagine that's what's causing a lot of the the trepidation that we're seeing in terms of things slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially know, because that's it, just like, so interesting because I can't think of another show that's done that. Yeah, where it's yeah. it's so blown up and so uh, we've got um, our our headliners, uh, but and especially I think at this point it's so hard to understand why we're even following Jon Snow or. Right. Um, Daenerys. I mean, Daenerys continues to be completely separate from everything that's happening. In, in yeah. fact, even more so because now you don't even have people in King's Landing talking about her. Like they don't even. That's not right, even yeah. on their radar right now. They've got bigger fish to fry. Um, and so well, that, that's that's the thing. Like that's the dramatic irony of like they don't know, but we know that she's coming. Yeah. Um, but also, like the show hasn't gotten to the point where John and Daenerys are the leads of the show. Right. Um, everyone like at this point, everyone's a supporting character. Although Peter Dinklage does get lead billing in the yeah. theme now, so. and I think he is ultimately like we were saying he he's filling the Ned role. Um, yeah, but the show is definitely giving more time to other characters than whereas before mm-hmm. it was it was I think I don't have the percentages in front of me, but I think uh, feel more more than likely Ned had the the biggest screen time amount of screen time in the first season, whereas I don't know. If Tyrion has the same like margin, he probably does have the yeah, most screen sure. time, but I don't think he has the same amount compared sure, to sure. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a real CW's Batwoman. So, sure. Um, <laughs> I guess that that would be the other big example, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else, and I don't even know. I don't watch that show. I don't know what happened, but um, but yeah. all I know is she's being recast, or mm-hmm. they're they're bringing in a new character to be. Batwoman. Yeah, they brought in a so new a new person to be that woman. Her name is Brucina Wayne. <laughs> no, it's, it's. I mean, given how silly the CW show get its, how how ridiculous they get at certain points, I would not put put it past them to do that. It's it's Bruce Wayne, but it's spelled B R O O S E. So <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so before I do my recommendation, quick announcement: uh, Britain's previous recommendation and current favorite movie of 2020, The Assistant, is on Hulu now. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, it is short. It's quieting and disquieting and great. So check now, it out. 
Uh, how far ahead of Bad Boys for Life are you putting the assistant? Ooh, okay, this is a good point. Um, I mean, just barely edging it out. <laughs> because I will tell you, there's some bad boys in the assistant. Um, but not the same kind of bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> not the fun bad. Uh, no, like arguably they, they are quite worse <laughs> boys. Um, uh, but my recommendation this week is my other favorite movie of 2020 so far. Bloodshot, 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 bloodshot. No, I'm saving that. For, I'm saving that for the podcast, dude. That's our that's our big uh, post quarantine reunion episode. Sure. Um, oh my god. Uh, but uh, no, it's a documentary that is streaming on Netflix right now called Crip Camp. This is a documentary about a summer camp in the 70s for folks with disabilities. Um, and it kind of centers around that camp, but then it, it was in like upstate New York, I think, but then it follows those campers, one of whom is one of the directors of the movie and it follows them into all of these other movements in that time period in history. Mm -hmm. So you've got, it mostly follows Judith Newman, who's like a a really important figure in in disability advocacy through like the 504 sit-ins and the signing of the ADA, which I didn't realize was as recent as 1990. I thought it would have been sooner or excuse me i thought it would have been later than that but um and it follows them through that and it's a really fascinating documentary about stuff that i i never knew about the 504 sit-ins i i like i said i thought the ada was older than it is um it's a really interesting documentary that uses a lot of like home movie footage from the camp and like uh, news footage and obviously like talking heads in the present and everything uh but it's a it was really cool to see a documentary that was about it was like a documentary about radical grassroots like hippie activism but in a movement we don't talk about sure. uh that we still don't talk about that like we never really hear about the history of disability advocacy um we hear about helen keller and stuff but we don't hear about the movement and we yeah. don't hear about the activism and the protests and like i didn't know about these sit-ins and this movie was really enlightening that way and it also talked about how like all these different movements overlapped where you had like vietnam veterans and the black panther party and like lgbtq uh, Hmm. plus organizations like all these people joined together to help the disability advocates uh because that that community is the only community on earth where every other community is represented um but it was a, and I'm someone who like really thinks about this stuff a lot and cares about it a lot, and I didn't know this stuff, so it was really interesting. It it's a it's a little bit long; it's under two hours, um, and it gets a little slow in places, but never never too badly. But I really liked it. I think it's a really important movie and a really informative movie about a, a corners of American history that haven't gotten like. They're, they're due mm-hmm. and you know there's tons of documentaries out there about the music scene and the hippie movement and Watergate and Vietnam and all this really important stuff and it was cool to see another thing that was happening concurrently with that right um, so yeah Crip Camp sitting right there on Netflix mm-hmm. and The Assistant hanging out on Hulu and other stuff it pick, pick, picking up on Prime and dang, dangling it, on Disney Plus and uh, it being tubular on Tubi. It it bothered me that you didn't make the Netflix one something that started within. You said. N- n- no, non-negotiably on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you been watching anything Napping. on Hoopla? Oh, okay. Or Voodoo? Or Tubi? <laughs> Tubi or uh, not Tubi? Um, Shudder? 
Shutter. Yeah, which, yeah. Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll. Alex, you got Alex, you got Peacock, right? Funimation. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I just got all of them. I, I I have DC Universe. You know. Alex, you've yeah. been texting me every day, demanding, asking, do I have Quibi yet? <laughs> so, what you been watching on Quibi? I mean, Anna Kendrick's on there, so I I just assumed. I Speaking of burdens of my life. <laughs> um, Not that she is a burden. I, I recently introduced uh, a friend of the podcast, Cecilia, to Boston Legal, which is not a movie. Wow. It is How's a show from the early or the mid 2000s starring James Spader and William Shatner as lawyers in Boston. And it's very ridiculous and very funny and very much of its time. And that's your favorite show, right? It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. It's wasn't that a spinoff of The Practice? Yes. And okay. James Spader won three separate Emmys for that role. Um, mm-hmm. So good acting on his part. Um, but yeah, it's very <laughs> ridiculous. It it has like s- such tonal inconsistencies. Um, but it's great. And I love it. And it's a show. <laughs> I don't even know if it's available anywhere <laughs> anymore. Sure. There's stamps and you can buy them. Except for in <laughs> Alex's room. Um, of course, I I have the DVD <laughs> box sets of this show. So, boxed and legal. Tyler, you seen anything or read anything or played anything cool? Uh, any neat I don't know if I had mentioned previously that I was reading uh, Don Quixote. Um, oh yeah, I've, How's that going? I've stalled out on that about halfway through. Hmm. Um, so I've instead picked up a little book called Les Miserables. Ms. Oh, Miserable. Wow. Miserable. I don't know how you pronounce it. I only because I just think of the musical as lame is. So I'm reading this book that I can't pronounce the title of. Um, Isn't it just lame Miserable? I've had this issue as well. I feel like lame. I believe it's, it's lame Miserable. There's just Miserable. France. Has, is there a reason you don't pronounce the last three letters? France, dude. For, that's that's it. The French. Just, they just use a lot of letters and, and look. I know English is a baffling language as well. Like I understand that, but come on. I think. Throw us a freebie here. I think it's sort of an optional thing where you you see you get to pick. You have to pronounce like two thirds of the letters in a given word. You just you pick which ones. Um, Is it because you already say those first three letters at the beginning? So it's just like, yeah, we're good. <laughs> we, we, you just kind of somewhere along the way, you you know, you get tired. You just run out of. Uh, um, but uh, it is very good. So there's that. <laughs> Hot take. Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. Very good book. I don't I believe think, you. Let, let me see here. Le Miserable. Okay. Le Miserable. <laughs> you kind of suggest the... You suggest the L. Le Miserable. <laughs> it's, it's like you start to say it and then you just kind of... And then, yeah. and then you get distracted because of you got to go to a cafe and sit there and eat a bigot. I like live. Uh. <laughs> there's there's an entire uh, chapter. It's probably I don't know how many words. It's 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 extensive of um, Victor Hugo just describing literally like every uh, public news event uh, that happened <laughs> in 1817 in France. Like nice. just every like just and I. It was sort of just this staring at the page and being like, okay, yeah, <laughs> this is relevant to me, yeah. right? I remember 
uh, trying to get through Hunchback of Notre Dame, and it mm. was the same deal where I was like, I get it. The, there were very good bricks. <laughs> they did. They were. They did such a good stacking. I understand. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Mon Dieu! <laughs> France. Well, should we wrap this one up, gang? Yeah. So we can all get can... those next five episodes in. Mm-hmm. You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCT Sequels. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Just give us a search. Uh, you can also email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. And that's you the sure? show. <laughs> and now you know the rest of the backstory. Good night. <laughs> I've been Britain. <laughs> yep. Uh, all that out of the way. I've been Alex. <laughs> I've been I've been Tyler. And I've been Britain. And you're having a good night, Lands. Uh...